The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I think the most memorable of all the Christmases that I remember growing up is when I was little, I was five. And uh, we actually went away for that Christmas season. And I'll tell you the backstory. My grandparents who were living in the Midwest I had just retired and they would eventually retire down here in Florida, but for a short period while they were transitioning, they went and stayed at a distant relative's house. The house was vacant, but they made that house available to my grandparents and they went and stayed there for a period of time. It was in this small historic town up in Virginia. And so when Christmas time came, my parents decided to take my sister and I, and as a family, we went up north to, uh, to Virginia and spent that Christmas week and Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we spent that with my grandparents in this house. And there were so many things about that trip that were memorable for, for starters. I had never experienced like the cold before. It was the first time I ever saw snow was when I was up there. But really what made it uh, just so magical that particular Christmas was the house that we were staying in. It was a, a hundred and oh, more than 150 years old. And it was filled with just all of the historic furniture that had been in this relative's uh, family for generations. I remember it as being this gigantic mansion. In hindsight, I've, I've done some research, talked to some relatives, it's actually not that big of a house, but to me as a five-year-old, it was this gigantic mansion. And it was filled, all this old furniture just made it so mysterious. So just the fact that it was some relative that I'd never met, never heard of, that were staying in their house, made it mysterious. The fact that all the old furniture, you walked in, there was this huge staircase with this wooden banister coming all the way down. It had like fireplaces and all these different rooms. It had one of those really old bathtubs that was like this white bathtub with the claw feet. You know what I'm talking about? And one of those old timey bathtubs that had these huge wardrobes that were filled with winter coats. And my sister and I were convinced if we went in the right wardrobe at the right time, we'd find our way into Narnia. I mean, we just knew that it was going to be this mysterious place. And it had something that I'd never seen before. I had heard that these types of things existed, but I had never laid my eyes on such a thing until this particular house that we stayed at, this house had a basement, something for a child in South Florida we'd never witnessed before, but a magical wonderland called a basement that we could explore. And so my sister and I spent that week just constantly looking through this house. We were sure that there would be secret passageways in places. And we'd, we were basically on a treasure hunt. We were looking for, we knew that there had to be mysterious treasures that were hidden somewhere in this house. And so we spent the week looking for these little treasures. And at the end of the week, even though we had a blast to our disappointment, we never found a secret passageway. We never found any of the treasures that we were looking for. Although I'm still not to this day convinced that they're not there somewhere, okay? But we never found them when we were children. But as I was thinking about that Christmas, we basically spent doing a, a treasure hunt. It made me think about the Christmas season. You know, we're celebrating, we're celebrating that Jesus has come to earth. But when that baby was born to us, when Jesus arrives, when the creator God arrives on earth, 
he brings with him very real treasure into our life. There are treasures that Jesus brings into, into our lives. And I'm not talking just on some transcendent level. I'm not just talking like, well, it's kind of like character. You know, I'm not just talking like some transcendent level. Like I'm talking there's very real treasures that Jesus brings into our lives. And to those of us who've received Jesus, he's bringing that very, very real treasure into our lives. And I want to explore that together. This, this series is designed to explore what are those things that Jesus brings into our life. But to really, to really get this, um, I, we're going to need to use our imagination this Christmas. You think guys think you, you can do that? Can you use your imagination with me? You think you can do that? I was super lame, guys. I'm just going to be honest. Real lame. Okay, do you think you can use your imagination? Thank you. Okay. Just wondering for a second there. Okay. We are going to, uh, to go to a, a mansion. Not the mansion that I stayed at, but the mansion as it's become in my mind. This mysterious mansion. Okay. So I want you to imagine with me. The harp was a little much, right? I think that we just <laughs> took it to one step too far. Shouldn't have done the harp. All right, mental note, no harp next time. All right, anyway, we, I want you to imagine that we are in an old, mysterious mansion, and we're going to start here in this, the library of this mansion because uh, there's our first clue as we're hunting for this treasure. The first clue, um, it really comes from a song. And so I want to play this, this old record. And as I play this, I want you to listen because this is one of the old, I mean, it's not one of the oldest Christmas songs, but it's, it's a very old Christmas song. It's one of the most famous. And I want you to listen. Now, this is, an old, this is an old record, but I want you to see if you can pick out what this song is. Uh, let me just play this song here. Okay, now if you heard that, I wonder how many of you picked up what song that was. That's from the famous piece written by Handel hundreds of years ago. It's called The Messiah. Some of you maybe picked up on that. It's called The Messiah. And that, that song is called For Unto Us. And it, and it says essentially, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For hundreds of years, that song is played, and the Messiah is played. The Messiah, of course, you've definitely heard the Hallelujah Chorus. The Messiah crescendos with the Hallelujah Chorus. That's played all over the world, even in our city. This Christmas, the Messiah will be played. That song will be played right there. And what's interesting about that particular song in the Messiah is it's actually the lyrics are lifted straight out of the Bible. Let's see actually where that is, that is actually lifted. I mean, it's word for word straight from the book of Isaiah. If you have a Bible, I want you to open to Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to hear this verse because it is word for word 
exactly what was played in that famous Christmas song. It's Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying that there is a child that's going to be born. There's a son that's going to be, be born. And he is born to us. He is given. This child is a gift to us. So I want you to think all through this Christmas season, you're going to see it on Christmas cards and you're going to see the little decorations and you're going to, you're going to see it depicted maybe in movies or on, uh, even in, in uh, ornaments on someone's lawn. You're going to see over and over a baby in a manger. Of course, it's Jesus Christ born. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time, the arrival of Jesus Christ. But notice what it's saying. It's not just, well, Jesus was a great man and a teacher, so we should celebrate his birth. I mean, let's remember when he was born. It's not just that. It's not just like, well, he's not just a teacher. He's the Messiah, so let's celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. It's not just that. It's not just, well, it's God himself entering into his creation. Let's celebrate that moment when God himself entered into creation. It's not just that. If you notice the language, what this says in Isaiah 9 verse 6, is it says, this child is born to you, unto you, unto you and me. It is a gift. He has been given. This child is a gift. He's given to you. There are very real treasures this gift brings into your life. It's given to you. It says the government will be upon his shoulders. This is not just a spiritual leader. It's not just a Messiah in some spiritual way. This child will be a ruler. This ruler will be a gift to us. How? And then it lists his names. It's like just pouring out all these titles. It's like listing all the titles of a king. It says, this king who will be a gift to you, a gift to me, this king will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These titles represent part of the treasures that he brings into our lives. Today, I just want to talk about the first one. Jesus is a wonderful counselor, and that matters in your life. That, that actually affects the things in your life right now. To see how that works, let's just go back a few verses. Let's get the context here. Go back to Isaiah 9, verse 1. How is the fact that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, how is that a gift to you? How does that bring a treasure into your life? Look at what it says, um, chapter 9, verse 1. It says this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
Now, there's a lot in there. There's a lot that we need to explore. But he's basically talking about a land. He says there's a land that is in darkness. They're in gloom. He says they're in great anguish, great pain, great destruction. There's a land that is in a very, very bad place. And then he gives these names of this land that may sound foreign. He gives the names Naphtali and Zebulun. Now, part of the reason why it's good we're in the library is because we need to consult a map. What is Naphtali and Zebulun? I want to show you this map. This will help us kind of get a little bit of the context. Look at this, at this map. This is a map of Israel. You can see here's the Sea of Galilee at the top, and you can see the Dead Sea at the bottom, and you can see that there are colors in the different regions all around Israel. Now, each of these different colors are what's called the tribal allotment of Israel. What does that mean? Well, there were 12 tribes of Israel. When they were led out of Egypt, they wandered around in the wilderness following Moses through the wilderness. And then Joshua took them into the promised land. And then each tribe was given an allotment. They were each given a region where they settled. And each of these regions where each of the tribes settled is, is uh, commemorated with a different color. So if you look here on this map, you've got at the top, you've got a, a place that's orange, that is Naphtali, and just down below it, you see a land that's called Zebulun. Those are tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun. Those are two of the tribes. Now, what he says, at that, uh, what um, Isaiah says, is he says, at the time that this is being written, this land, Naphtali and Zebulun, has been plunged into darkness. There is gloom over this land. And this is something that is right at the, this is right happening at the time of Isaiah. It is a very real difficulty. The Assyrians are the global power of the day. They are moving through the region, conquering cities. And to be honest, historically, they're doing it very brutally. And they have just entered in to the land of Israel and have begun working their way down and they conquer the whole north, all the northern tribes of Israel and they take them, the people of the northern tribes captive and disperse them around. How does this happen? I mean, these are God's people. Well, for generations, they have turned away from God. God gave them commandments. They are turning away from these commandments, but they're not just disobeying and in sin. They're raising up idols worshiping these idols, having turned away in mockery from God. And God continues to send them prophets, warning them, hey, please turn back to God, begging them to turn back to the Lord. But even though they're begging them over and over and over and over again, they still are, have turned away from God. And so eventually God turns them over to judgment. What is the judgment? Well, the Assyrians they march down through these northern tribes, but here is where they come. They come around through the north, down through the northern tribes. So that means the first places that they enter through is Naphtali and Zebulun. All of these cities here get decimated 
and they're in gloom. Naphtali and Zebulun is where judgment enters into and then spreads down. It's up here, Naphtali and Zebulun, where the darkness enters into Israel and spreads down through the northern kingdom. Naphtali and Zebulun are in a gloom. They are where judgment enters in. But that's not the only thing that, uh, that Isaiah has to say here in this text. Because he says there's a land that's in gloom, but he's bringing it into glory. Look at what he says. I want you to go with me to verse two. He says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness on them has light shone. Here's what it says. There is going to be a complete and total turnaround. This land that is in gloom is going to be turned into glory. This land that was in darkness is going to be a light. It's going to, God is going to send a light into that land. Well, how does this play out? Let's look at this map again for a second. I want you to take another look at this. Those two northern places, Naphtali and Zebulun, you know, several centuries later, there were some significant cities that were in those places. Maybe some of these names are familiar to you. There in the purple spot in Zebulun, right there, there were some cities by the name of Nazareth and Cana. In Naphtali, several centuries later, there was a city by the name of Capernaum, Bethsaida, Tiberias, Magdala, See, God didn't just send a light into that region. That is the very region that God sent the light. Think about it. What, are those, what do those cities mean? Uh, you probably know Nazareth is the city where Jesus grew up. Cana is the city where Jesus did his first miracle. He's launching his public ministry. And what was his first miracle? It was the famous moment where he turned water into wine. That happened there in Cana in Zebulun. What would happen in, uh, in what was formerly called Naphtali? What would happen in that region? Well, it was there all around the Sea of Galilee that so much of his ministry happened. It was on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on water. It was on a hillside right there where he fed 5,000. That's where he gave the Sermon on the Mount, which, which he taught the world, the Lord's Prayer and the, the Golden Rule. I mean, it's all in that region. There, were, there was a paralytic healed. There was a, a woman that was, dealt with the issue of blood for 12 years. There was a, a, a servant that was healed. Oh, so many healings. That's where all of, most of the disciples were from, if not all of them. That's where Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Matthew, and so many of these disciples came from those very towns. I mean, think about it. That is the place where the light shone. That's where the light entered in. And think of it like this. If, if it's through the north, if it's through here, that judgment came down and spread through the rest of Israel. If it's through here, that darkness and gloom entered in and spread through. What God did is a great turnaround. This is where he sent the light and the light spread down all the way, not just through Israel, but far greater the light spread down and out into the entire world. This land that was one of the most broken had the turnaround. I mean, think about it. 
Those battles when Assyria came through and brought gloom, I mean, they were devastating battles. But the modern world doesn't remember those. But we have a phrase that says, oh, it's not like he walks on water. I mean, to this day, the turnaround was so great. The glory was so much greater than the gloom. To this day, what's remembered is the redemption that was brought to that land. Now, who could do such a thing? Who could work that level of redemption? Uh, this is more than just a reversal. Are there a lot of great leaders that can bring about a reversal? You know, like there could be a, maybe a, an emperor that, that turns, a, the, turns an empire back, or maybe there's a leader that can turn the corporation kind of back and kind of reverse his course, but this is more than a reversal. This is a restoration. This is redemption. What, could, what can bring redemption? Only a ruler that is a wonderful counselor. Only someone that is so far beyond what we could imagine. Only someone of that category could bring about a redemption. That, that could bring about the, that level, not just a reversal, but a complete restoration. That's something that doesn't just happen with an ordinary ruler. Now this title, Wonderful Counselor, when you hear the word counselor, it's not meaning like therapist. It's not like, oh, like he just gives me just great you know, counseling in my life. This means like it's a, it's a title of ruling. It means like an administration, like a council. Like this is a ruler. And when it says wonderful ruler, we have to understand, have a very clear understanding of what it means by wonderful because wonderful in this sense is not the way we typically use it. But you know what? I think there's another room in this mansion, I think, that can help us understand the, what the Hebrew here means when it comes to wonderful. Uh, we need to go, we need to leave the library and we need to go over to the hall and I'm betting that there is a secret passageway, if it's a mansion that I'm expecting. Okay, what happens if I pull this book here? Let's see what happens when I go in here. Okay, this is dark. This is way darker than I thought. I, there's a, it's gotta be a light in here. What's this? This looks like some kind of lantern. I think I can get this on. Okay, there. I gotta be honest, all my life I've wanted to wander through secret passages, but now that I'm in here, this is way creepier than I thought. There's spider webs, and I do not do well with the creepy crawlies. All right, I'm gonna try and find the other end of the secret passage and try and avoid spiders along the way. Oh, I don't like this. What was that? Okay. Maybe it's down here. I tell you, around every bend, it gets darker and definitely creepier. <laughs> At least I have my light. That'd be really bad. Oh, great. That's not good. Okay, I'm in the, come on, lantern. Don't like being in the dark. There, that's better. I gotta get out of this place. There's, looks like there may be the end here. I feel kind of itchy. I need to get out of here, is this the end? Okay, I think I'm on the other side. 
Okay, oh, I don't know what that was. Did not like it in there. Okay, do not recommend you going in there. Um, okay, we are here in the hall, and there's some things in the hall that I need to show you. And the first thing I want to show you is this painting. This is a painting of the Grand Canyon. And there's something about the Grand Canyon, if you've ever seen it, that you know about the Grand Canyon. You see, the, the Grand Canyon, you when you first see it, it's not the first time you've ever understood what the Grand Canyon is. I mean, you've, before then, you've seen hundreds of pictures. You've seen, you've seen photographs. You've seen paintings. You've probably even seen like drone footage of, of it going through the Grand Canyon. You know exactly what to expect. But when you stand there, you're still in awe. It's not like it's a surprise, like you know it's going to be a canyon, you know it's going to be grand, it's exactly that, but it still just stops you in your tracks and you're like, that is unbelievable. And really what you say about the Grand Canyon, when you see something like, when you see it in real life, you say, there is really nothing else like this. I mean, there's other amazing things, but there's nothing else like this. And it's actually similar to, um, to this statue. This statue is a representation of the Christ the Redeemer statue in uh, Rio de Janeiro. The Christ the Redeemer statue is, it's an incredible statue. I mean, it's, it's very, very large. It's a hundred feet tall, just the statue part. But that's not the thing that makes it so unbelievable. I mean, the, there's other statues that are larger than that. The Statue of Liberty is larger than that. But what this statue has that's unlike any other statue is that it's up on top of a, of a cliff, on top of a mountain. And it's just Jesus standing there with his arms stretched out, overlooking the city, overlooking that region, overlooking the bay. And when you're, if you were down on the ocean level, if you're down on the beach, and you are looking up, you're not just seeing a statue that's 100 feet tall. The very top of the statue is nearly a half mile up in the sky. It's unbelievable. And it's what has led a millions of people, 100 million people, to give the Christ the Redeemer statue an official designation. See, there, there's something that the Grand Canyon and the Christ the Redeemer statue have in common. Both of these things are considered wonders. The Grand Canyon is considered one of the seven natural wonders of the world. There, it's like the, the uh, Mount Everest or the Great Barrier Reef. It's like these are the seven things. There's just nothing else like it in the whole world. The Grand Canyon is one of those. The Christ the Redeemer statue is part of another list called the seven modern wonders or the seven new wonders of the world. It was voted on by over a hundred million people as one of the seven things in the modern world, not the natural world, but the modern world. One of the seven things that people just stand back and say, there is just nothing else like this. They, they call it a wonder. It's in a class all by itself. How powerful that a statue of Jesus Christ looking over a city is designated as a wonder. Because according to Isaiah chapter 9, that is exactly what he is. When he's called a wonderful counselor, it's not like wonderful, like, oh, isn't that great? It's not like, hey, did you like the sweater I bought you? Yes, it's wonderful. 
It's not like that. It's not like, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. The original Hebrew is saying, it's a wonder. It's like, there's nothing else like it. It's like, it's in a class all of its own. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. And by counselor, again, meaning ruler. He's a wonder of a ruler. There, he's in a class by himself. There is nothing else like him. This son that is born, this child that is given, given to you, given to me, given to God's people, given to all creation, this child that's been born is a wonder of a ruler. There is none, no one else like him. In what way is he a wonder? He's not just a good leader. He's not just like, oh, well, we're heading in a bad direction and he's going to turn it around. He doesn't just bring a reversal. This leader brings a redemption. This leader can take gloom and turn it into glory. This leader can take sorrow and turn it into dancing. This leader can take grief and turn it into hope. This leader can take, uh, can take uh, ashes and turn it into a, a beautiful, glorious headdress. This, this king, this ruler is a wonder. He does what no one else can do. He brings a redemption. He takes gloom and makes it into glory. And that redemption is one of the greatest treasures that we have in our lives. Not just on some transcendent level, in a very real, tangible way in your life. Let me bring this over to, to our lives today and, and to why we're walking through a series uh, like this. Why is the redemption that this child brings such a treasure to you? Because all the other treasures that this world has they can't possibly bring redemption. You know, here's what happens in the Christmas season. Christmas season just gets very festive. There's decorations, there's music, there's parties, there's food and drink, there's, there's gifts that we give. It's very, very festive. And so what the temptation is, is we enter into the season and we, we enter in and all of us have hurts and wounds and brokenness in our lives. And what, what the temptation is, is that we just kind of use the Christmas season to just put kind of a Christmas wrapping around our pre-existing pain and difficulty in our lives. And the best that the Christmas season and the festivities can do, the best that it can do is maybe just distract us for a little bit. Maybe just numb the pain a little bit. Maybe get us to not think about it a little bit. But that is not what the treasure that Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just distract us for a minute. He reaches into the pain and brokenness into our lives and turns it around. He takes the gloom and makes it into something glorious in a very real way in our lives. Some of you walked in here today and you say, I'll be honest, like, I know that this is supposed to be a season of joy and, and we're supposed to be singing about that. We're supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be the happiest season of all, in fact, according to the song. I'm supposed to be so full of joy. But if I'm honest, I am walking through a trial. I've got a trial in, my, uh, in the medical side of my life. I've got a, my health has a trial. My finances have a trial. My career has a trial. My relationships, I've got a relational trial right now. And you say, I'm, if I'm honest, I am sitting here in a place of very real, actual pain. I feel the pain in my life. And no amount of Christmas wrapping is going to take that away. 
But here is what that wonder of a counselor wants to do in your life. Here's what that redemption looks like. He says, for all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. That is a promise of what that child who's been given to you, that is a promise of what that wonder of a counselor can do. If you've received that child, if you've received the gift of that, sa of that savior in your life, what he does is he promises any trial going on in your life, he is going to turn that around for good. I don't know if you notice in this text, but in Isaiah, it's always the way the prophets write is often when they're talking about something that has not yet happened, they still write it in the past tense anyway. They say the, a land that has been plunged into gloom has been made glorious, even though this was written 700 years before that light, Jesus Christ, would enter into those regions. Why does it write it in the past tense? Because if God has spoken it, it's as good as done. Do you believe that, Christian? If God has spoken it, it's as good as done because when God speaks things, things burst into existence. And so what he has spoken over your life is a very real redemption to the real pain that you feel today. He will turn it around for good if, you, if you've received the gift of that Savior. Maybe you're walking in here with trial, but some of you are walking in here with other pain. Some of you are walking in here with grief. And this season reminds you of a grief, a loss that you've experienced. And as you, as you gear up for the holiday decorations and the gifts and the parties and putting a smile on your face, you're also gearing up to that deep down weight of grief that you feel. But listen, Christmas is not just an opportunity to distract you from the grief. It's to remind you that in this season, the wonder of a counselor, the Redeemer was born. And if you have hope in that Redeemer, that means that we do not grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, but stirred in is hope. Stirred in is an anchor. Stirred in is a foundation where we know we may have lost a loved one. They have may, may, may have walked through that doorway into death, but on the other side, for those who are in Christ Jesus, they walked into eternal life. And so mixed into the grief is a very real, vibrant hope where I know that person is more alive today than they ever were on this earth. That is something that no one can do outside of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. He's a wonder of a counselor, and he speaks into our grief. You may have walked in with a trial. Maybe you walked in with grief. Maybe you walked in today with very deep disappointment. You say, look, this time last year, I was looking forward to what the year would bring. And I had all of these expectations. And I thought this would happen financially. This would happen with my career. This would happen in my family. This would happen with my relationships. And I had all of this expectation. But one thing after another, man, it just, this year has not gone how, how I thought. And I feel like I'm 10 steps backwards instead of 10 steps forward. But because of the Redeemer, because of that child that was born, he has a purpose and a plan over your life. He has a dream over your life. He, you are abiding in the vine. He has fruitfulness planned for your life. It's not just a dream that you have to manifest in your life. He's overseeing his exceedingly more profound dreams he has. He knows those plans and he will see to it that they happen. 
and there's never really a setback. You are right on time to the plan that he has for your life. There's no disappointment. It all plays into the hands of your redeemer who takes even the disappointments and will one day show you how that's all been according to his plan. Because the plan that he has for your life the plan that he has for your life is not just to give you the, the empty, hollow successes of this world. No, he wants to bring something far more profound. He wants you to bear fruit that will last for eternity. That's what he wants to bring into your life. And so he's watching over your life and everything is according to plan. That's what a wonder of a counselor can bring into your life. Some of you may be here. And you say, look, there's disappointment in my life. And honestly, it's because of me. It's my own fault. I can't get out of my own way. I keep making mistakes. I keep falling into sin. I have these, these addictions. I have these habits. I've got these things that I wish I could stop doing. And you say, honestly, it's even hard to come to church because I feel so much condemnation and shame. But you know what your Redeemer does? That wonder of a counselor. You know what that child who was born in that manger, you know what he came to do? He came to be your redeemer. He came to die on a cross, to pay for your sins, to take all of your guilt and shame on him on the cross, removing all of that. And here's what that means. Your gloom has now turned into glory. Here's what that means. There's no condemnation on you. Your sin was put on Jesus and his righteousness was placed on you. You're no longer defined by your past. You're no longer defined by what you've done. You're now defined by what Jesus did. That's how God sees you. He sees you as if you had the righteousness of Christ because your Redeemer has placed that righteousness on you. He has redeemed your shame and he calls you sons and daughters of Almighty God. No leader could do that. Only a wonder of a king. That baby was born and it's a gift to you. Maybe in this season we can put aside all of the treasures that this world, the empty treasures that this world tries to dangle in front of us. Some of them are not bad, but, they're, but the wonder of a counselor is in a class all by himself. Don't use this Christmas season to try and mask over, paper over, distract and numb ourselves from all the things that the Redeemer came to turn around. Take advantage of that treasure of redemption that he's bringing into your life and experience the wonder of what Jesus came to bring. Let me lead us in a prayer. Christian, maybe you're here today and bring before God, what, are the, what is the way that you want to experience and trust him for redemption? That wonder of a counselor. What do you want to trust him for redemption for today? Is it a trial you're walking through? Is it grief? Is it disappointment? Is it shame? Would you bring that before the wonder of a counselor? Let him be the greatest gift and bring the gift, the treasure of redemption into your life. But maybe you're here and you say, look, if I'm honest, um, 
I know about Jesus. Maybe you'd even say, I call myself a Christian. You say, I, I even maybe go to church some. But you've never received Jesus. He's a gift to you. Receive him. Make him your king. Make him your savior. Surrender your life. Turn your life over to him. Quit trying to lead and run your life and just add a little Jesus into it. Turn your life over to Jesus. No one can run anything like the wonder of a counselor can. And if he can do that with the universe, imagine what he can do with your life. Would you surrender your life to Jesus? Would you find salvation today? Would you make him your king? Would you make him your savior? Would you turn all your guilt and shame over to him? Let him take it away, past, present, and future, by the work he did through his death and resurrection. Would you turn over his kingship and lordship uh, over, to, over to him that he would rule your life? Would you surrender to him today? If you want to take that step, you can do that by just a simple prayer. A simple prayer right now can turn your life around, your eternity around. Find salvation. And if you're not sure you found salvation, let's make that sure today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer right there in your seats. If this is you, I just silently make this your prayer to him because the wonder of a counselor can hear you right now. Just make this your prayer. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I make you my savior. I make you my king. I'm gonna spend my life following you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.